Dennis Stewart, joining us today for Health Naturally. Um, Dennis, we started talking about food and how it can be useful in our health and feeling good. And I think we'll be, uh, what we might do today, Jane, is uh, follow up that, uh, that line of thought. And I said to you before we started, what I'd like to do is look at the controversial topic of uh, does food or diet influence uh, cancer in any way, our getting cancer or our ability to fight cancer. And I want to mention a couple of very, very modern and useful references that might encourage people to look more seriously at this topic and see that, yes, there is a lot that we can do to fight the good fight against this wretched disease. Food as therapy, Dennis. Yes, and I think that um, this is something perhaps that needs to be emphasised more than ever today, that uh, food is not just something uh, that we that we eat to survive. Um, we should see food as it has been traditionally seen in many cultures, going way back to the Greeks, way back to the, uh, to the ancient Indians, uh, who saw that food is in fact our best medicine. Uh, and this still prevails today. And what I'd like to do over the next couple of sessions is look at the way in which particular foods um, and some dietary regimes have a credible basis and that can be taken on board quite safely uh, as a means of working against certain disease processes that we're prone to. And today, I'd like to look at the controversial topic of cancer. And before we say, before we say anything, before we say anything, we should emphasise that this is not a self-help uh, session on if you've got cancer, bypass everything and do this yourself. That is absurd. And anyone that uh, bypasses our modern medical diagnostic and treatment procedures for cancer is foolish and is missing the whole point of what we're going to try to say today, and that is that there is something one can do to augment what uh, might be being given to a cancer sufferer, or there may be things that we can do to resist cancer tendencies, and that one of these things that we can do is to look at the developing information written by medical professionals and researchers of high calibre that demonstrate that lifestyle and food can influence our tendency to get cancer and can even be used in the context of lifestyle modification to work with our medical practitioners and our oncologists to give us the potential to have another string in the bow, so to speak, to uh, lift our game, if possible, by taking on food and diet. And before we get too far into the program, as I said earlier, there are two references, particularly for those um, out there that want to follow up this fascinating topic. And I can only say that having been involved in research and uh, in this area and advising in this area for many, many years, the two references I'm going to mention now, and I hope listeners have got a pencil and paper uh, with them, these two references are the most modern, credible and non-controversial references that I have come across in my whole career. And interestingly, well, perhaps not interestingly, perhaps not interestingly, both of them have been written in recent times by medical professionals. And I'll mention the text slowly so that listeners can write them down. Our program is informational as well as talkback. The first work that I have been using for many years, I have used it, in fact, as a, as a textbook for a series of postgraduate lectures that I gave in Melbourne years ago, is a book that is entitled today, 
foods to fight cancer, essential foods to help prevent cancer. I'll say it again. The first book I'm mentioning is a text entitled Foods to Fight Cancer, Essential Foods to Help Prevent Cancer. And this book is written by two Canadian professionals working in Quebec in cancer research in a clinical environment who have written a very readable but yet very technical work um, on this topic. Their names are as follows. Richard Bellevue, B-E-L-I-V-E-A-U. Richard Bellevue. I'm not a French speaker. My granddaughter is better than I am. She would pronounce it probably slightly differently. But Richard Bellevue, who has a PhD and works in this Quebec scientific environment, and his colleague, Dennis Gingras, G-I-N-G-R-A-S, both PhDs, in this book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer, which whether you are a lay person or a medical person, perhaps even a medical person a bit sceptical about uh, this idea, read the text, read the text, and I'm sure you'll come away from it with the view that I have, that there is evidence now to suggest that certain popular and common foods, when used regularly, can have a medicinal, almost mini-chemotherapeutic effect and as such can work against the development of some cancers, and even where cancer has been treated, can be used subsequent to treatment to give oneself an edge. That is the first text, a remarkable work. The second one is Storming the World Presently. It's been headed up as the number one international bestseller, and the name of the book is entitled Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life, by, again, Dr. David Schreiber, S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R, Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life, by Dr. David Schreiber, S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R. Now, if listeners haven't got those, uh, the, the names of those books properly, you can ring my clinic on 49562321, and my receptionist will give you the names in full. And if you can't get those books from your own local bookshop, they are, there are some copies available for sale at my rooms at 39 Alma Road. Now, very quickly, Schreiber is interesting in as much that he himself, as a medical practitioner, a brilliant medical practitioner, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And his world, as he points out in the book, virtually came to an end, except he began to research, and he took on board a lot of the ideas of Bellevue and Gingras. And the result was, in conjunction with a very empathetic oncologist and using the mainstream medical treatment and procedure, he has survived his cancer and has gone on to write this remarkable text, which for anyone who has cancer or who is fighting the good fight, in my opinion, should be read. It is so encouraging, and let me remind you, this is a textbook that can be used safely and in conjunction, and must be used in conjunction, with modern oncological procedures. It is, if you like, complementary medicine, in my opinion, at the best, and demonstrates the way in which we're not on our own, so to speak. It has been shown that most people that have cancer, knowingly or unknowingly to their oncologists, will use some form of complementary medicine. What I am here today to say is, if you're going to use anything 
to augment what your oncologist is doing for you or your medical practitioner, A, you should inform them, B, you should not in any way depart from the mainstream approach, but C, take on board the potential written in these two remarkable texts. And this is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And today's topic, of course, you're very welcome to ring in about that or anything else, 49216216 to get your question through. Now, Anne did ring in a little Mm. bit earlier, and Dennis, she was talking about foods for her husband that might help with with cancer. And look, this is a general um, statement and recommendation that I would make. Um, In the book written by the two Canadian writers, that is the book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer, on page 175, there is a little chart that we for years have reproduced, if you like, and have given it out to people that are interested in looking at the way in which certain foods can fight against cancer or maybe uh, may function as prophylactic devices against certain cancers and the way in which these foods also may be useful um, to reinforce the medical approach and even more useful perhaps as follow-up therapy once, to, once the major therapy is completed. Now that page 174 has a little table in which there are about, oh, about a dozen foods because remember the approach of, of Bellevue and Gingras is not to say, hey, here is the diet, follow this diet and all will be well. Uh, too many quacks have said that. There is no one particular diet. What the writers are saying is from their research there are a group of foods which if regularly taken, and that's the emphasis, food being used as medicine, if regularly taken may have a benefit that is understandable in resisting cancer and fighting against it. So I would say to Anne from Cardiff, um, if you can't get hold of the book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer, uh, ring my rooms on 49562321 and my receptionist will make sure that you are sent a copy of the little chart that we have derived from the text and you can read that and see the way in which these recommended foods might be useful uh, for your husband as a general approach to reinforcing his health and perhaps helping him fight the good fight. It's interesting in this work, people um, get a little bit perhaps sceptical, but again, I have challenged people today to read both these texts and to come away without being absolutely surprised at the level of credibility associated with them, keeping in mind that in no way would any of these writers dissent from the mainstream medical approach. But read these texts. But interestingly, what is being put forward is this, that even simple foods for the male, for instance, the regular daily use of some form of tomato uh, may have a significant a significant impact on the development of prostate cancer. Now, the information in the text here is not singular. There are many references that support the idea that certain foods contain particular constituents that can be isolated and, and, and can explain, perhaps, the way in which some of these foods inhibit certain pathologies. And what the writers point out is that if the male um, is even fighting, perhaps, a prostate pathology, the regular daily use of tomato in any form, but let me emphasise, it can be 
tomato sauce. In fact, for all those purists out there who say, hang on, this is, uh, Dennis Stewart's supposed to be a naturopath and he's, he's pushing tomato sauce. Well, <laughs> okay, there are naturopaths and naturopaths, but tomato sauce is a rich container of lycopene. So our growing up as kids in this town, we smothered our food with tomato sauce, much to the distress of my mother. But at this stage, I haven't got any prostate pathology. <laughs> but what the text points out is the tomato contains a substance called lycopene. And my advice to any male out there, any male, just as I said a number of weeks ago, who is concerned about prostate health, is not just to use saw palmito to, walk, to work against uh, prostate enlargement, but to start to use some form of tomato on a daily basis. If you're going to use ordinary tomato, which the two Canadians believe... Is the, is the superior way of using it. By that you mean fresh tomatoes. Fresh and yes. very ripe tomatoes. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use tomatoes, don't use them in their uncooked form. The clue for extracting the actives and getting the benefit from the tomato is to make sure it's cooked and ideally cooked in olive oil. So fried tomatoes cooked in olive oil, and you can find this reinforced in any of the literature. The literature will support this. The best way of getting from the tomato its benefits is not to use it as a salad. And we're only, these days we seem to get tomatoes, they're only half ripe in any case. But to get the ripest tomato, if you're not wanting to use tomato, use tomato sauce. But if you're going to use tomato, cook it. Cook it in olive oil. Use it as fried tomato. It's got to be done on a daily basis, some form of tomato. I use to cover my bases, and I'm a great fan of tomatoes. I purchased my tomatoes from a little roadside stall outside of Curry from a lovely Italian gentleman there. Italians are famous for their tomato growing. Sure but are. I also take I also take every morning, my wife will vouch for this, three capsules of lycopene. And um, I've done that for years. I believe firmly in it. But what I'm trying to say is the references we're referring to indicate the way in which certain foods are thought to work against the development of certain cancer pathologies. There is one example we'll talk about more in a moment. This is health naturally and we're looking at different foods that might help. We, we are, Jane. A moment ago I was looking at um, the general uh, chart in uh, Bellevue and Gingrass's book Foods to Fight Cancer which outlines about a dozen foods which when eaten regularly and seen as almost medicine uh, can have or may have a positive effect against cancer. But we spoke about the way in which lycopene found classically in ripe cooked tomatoes is seen as a, as a potential major antagonist for prostate cancer, uh, for general prostate health. It might be interesting also for listeners to know that turmeric, which is the basis of curry, turmeric from which we extract curcumin, is considered by the two Canadians to be one of the most useful devices when eaten regularly as part of one's diet to work against many pathologies of the large bowel. So just as uh, lycopene in tomato, I have recommended to males to think about using as a useful device to fight against uh, that problem, so I'm saying that the large bowel, which is a very, very common source of cancer, one of the most common forms of cancer, is the large bowel, in the book written by the two Canadians, there is a, a recommendation that one begins to use 
turmeric regularly. And the good thing about this book is it says if you want this to work, you must do these foods on a daily basis. And they give a recommendation as to how much of these handful of foods need to be taken on a daily basis. And that's why I'm saying the chart that occurs on page 174 is mandatory. And I say it again for listeners that want access to that chart that can't get the book, I'm happy to send it uh, to you. Uh, We have run it all for years for our clients. But in that text, the use of of turmeric is put forward as a major potential prophylactic device on one condition, however, that curcumin, which is the extract of turmeric, considered by many to be the major active principle in turmeric, is very difficult to be assimilated It's not something that's easily uptaken. So if one is going to get benefit of turmeric and see it as a regular part of one's diet for large bowel health, it must be taken with a synergist. And the synergist that's reckoned or recommended by the two Canadians is the synergist black pepper. Now, this should be no surprise to people that come from Asia, India and Pakistan, where uh, foods like this usually come together, turmeric in curry would necessarily incorporate some black pepper. What they say in the text is a teaspoonful of turmeric, the ordinary turmeric from the health food store or the supermarket. A spice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ordinary turmeric, a teaspoonful of that blended with half a teaspoonful of black pepper taken in one's diet, which is not difficult. One could put that in a pepper shaker and go through that in a day easily. That if one uses that as a regular part of one's diet, there is a fairly good basis for saying that that does something beneficial in resisting some bowel pathologies. Now, I know that there may be gastroenterologists out there that will be laughing at this. Please, don't laugh until you've read the literature from the two PhDs that put forward a credible argument as to how the curcumin, particularly in turmeric, works against a process known as angiogenesis, which is blood supply to the tumour being inhibited by certain constituents, one of which might be curcumin. So there's another example of where dietary change, getting away from the bland Anglo diet, getting more into a healthy diet incorporating emphases from Asia and the Mediterranean, using turmeric and black pepper in a sensible way, taking on board the advice from the text, not a difficult thing to do, brought into one's diet gives you a potential benefit against that sort of condition. This is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And we've talked about a couple of, um, a couple of uh, food items, uh, I suppose. I think that's a good way of referring to them, food items. Dennis, that, that can help in, Absolutely. in the and fight I think against specific is, cancers. Th- th- this is the point that needs to be emphasised here. What these researchers and medicos are recommending is that there is no one particular diet. There are a group of interesting foods which, are seen, which seem to contain what are called phytochemicals. Phytochemicals is a technical word, meaning chemicals of a plant-based derivation, and that these substances are being increasingly seen as exciting potentials for addressing the treatment of cancer as one component to it. And they're saying that if one uses these handful of foods, a couple of which we've mentioned today, if one takes these on board as part of one's diet 
and regularly uses them, one can set up potentially a protective environment within the body that has a resistant effect on certain forms of cancer. And we've looked at lycopene in tomatoes. I hope there's a rush on our um, fruit stalls today and that they do well as a result of the program. I hope the uh, tomato sauce vendors in our uh, food stores clap their hands uh, with the sales that we have generated today. No, I'm only joking. But I hope the males have taken that on board. Uh, I hope uh, that there's some understanding that even something as simple as turmeric with black pepper might be useful. But what I'm also going to say is that one of the most exciting uh, things that is being looked at today and certainly mentioned in both references I started speaking about today is the way in which particularly in Asian countries where green tea is taken in very large amounts. Now I emphasise green tea here. Green tea is a different tea, it's a different process. Uh, although there is some information suggesting today that even uh, ordinary tea that we drink as Anglos uh, has some of the benefits of green tea. But if we look at Asian culture, it is now considered that the the freedom from certain, or the relative freedom, let's put it that way, the relative freedom from some forms of cancer that Asian people have may be seen to be associated with their addiction almost to green tea and that the copious drinking of green tea is thought to have, if you like, a potential anti-cancer effect with specificity against some forms of cancer, one of which is thought to be breast cancer. So uh, for women, for instance, who live perhaps in fear of this uh, terrible disease, uh, I know a little bit about it as a result of our family experience, uh, why not take on board a simple recommendation subsequent to doing your own research? Listeners today that might be questioning what we're saying, Google it up, get on the net, see what we're referring to. Um, realise, and this is the point of today's program, realise that health is not just in the hands of our medical professionals. They can go so far, but health is really an individual responsibility. And what we're talking about today is the way in which lifestyle changes, particularly at the food level, may be able to positively work against the development of certain cancer pathologies. We're saying may be able to, based on the literature we're refer referring to. So green tea, for instance, uh, brought into one's diet is not a, not a big issue. If you go to Asia, um, almost on every desk is a pot of green tea, which is taken copiously across the day. And the, the other thing interesting also is that the tea and the constituents in it, particularly green tea, are thought to have a useful effect on the urinary tract mucosa, and so that the copious use of green tea may explain the relative freedom from urinary tract infections that Asian people have. So there's another way in which the foods recommended in the text we've been talking about can be taken on board inexpensively and seen to work against some of these things about which we've been talking. Health Naturally, and we're taking your call uh, calls on 49216216. And uh, Pauline has rung in. Hello, Pauline. Hi there. How are you? Hello, Pauline. That's good, David. Uh, David, I'm vitamin C intolerant. I get violent migraine. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been listening to you. Uh, I have been taking about a teaspoon of turmeric in uh, some water. Good. 
you also mentioned Black Pepper. I was halfway okay. between house and, and car. Okay. I'll elaborate, I'll elaborate on that for you. Yep. First of all, I'm pleased that you're using turmeric. And again, I would encourage all listeners to look at this food very, very seriously. But the point that I mentioned earlier was that constituents in turmeric, particularly curcumin, are not that well absorbed unless they're taken with a synergist. That is something that liberates them and promotes their assimilation. So the recommendation from the two Canadians is that if one uses turmeric, take black pepper with it. And the proportion should be about, say, a teaspoonful of turmeric to, say, around about half a teaspoon of black pepper and spread that across the day. Okay. What I, what I normally do is put the turmeric in a, or about half a glass of warm water with yeah. a little bit of um, syrup or honey and, and just down it. Well, that, that, that's good, but you may not be getting the optimum from it. And this is why I suggest that if you've been interested in what we've said today, try to get hold of that book by the two Canadians and read it. But again, I come back and say, uh, if you're interested in the chart from the book where this is recommended, ring my rooms at 49562321 and I'll happily send you the chart that explains this and I make that offer to listeners generally. Thanks very much for your call, Pauline. And Stephen has rung in from Merriweather. Hello, Stephen. Hi, how are you going? Hello, Stephen. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for taking our call. Pleasure. Um, our daughter, um, she's 24 now. Yes. Um, when she was 15, she um, she got the Barma Forest virus. Forest, yes. Um, and when they diagnosed that, they um, discovered she had had glandular fever. Yes. Um, prior to that, I think. Yes. Um, she's just she's living in Melbourne. Yes. And. Um, She's just run down all the time, yes. and, and every time we talk to her on the phone, she sounds as though she's got the flu, and yes. she's had quite a few bad bouts of um, of um, food poisoning recently, where yes. she, where they've lasted for two or three days, and she's yes. um, been hospitalised with it. Yes, um, and you know, it's just sort of I don't know whether there's something lacking. Um, well, what I think is what I mean. I won't go into into the food poisoning because that may well be associated with what she's eaten and where she's eaten but as far as her general immunity and, and health is concerned might I comment and say that uh, where I get patients that have had a background of glandular fever or what's known as the Epstein-Barr virus and where that has also been associated with other severe viruses that you have mentioned the Barma forest virus what I've found over the years is that these people tend to have uh, an immune response thereafter that tends to be a little bit tardy or reluctant and makes them fair game to a lot of subsequent infections and associated, mm-hmm. associated with that also is a, is a condition known as chronic fatigue. Now, I've, some, I've got some good news to pass on to you. She's in Melbourne and she would be able to go um, to a health food store or pharmacy down there and get what I'm going to recommend to you. There is no doubt in my mind... No doubt in my mind at all that if she were to start using the Astragalus 8 formulation, Astragalus 8, there is no doubt in my mind that within a very short period of time she would be contacting you and telling you how well she was feeling and how that she wasn't going down as quickly with viral infections as she had in the past. There There is nothing that I have worked with in my career that has been as exciting as the benefits of Astragalus 8 in addressing a background of viral infection and promoting, promoting improved resistance 
to subsequent viral infections and also overcoming the fatigue associated with it. She would be able to get Astragalus 8 down there. For years, Melbourne was the heartland of my postgraduate lecturing. There would be numerous pharmacists down there that would have this product. Sure, yep. Okay. Oh, that's terrific, yeah. You yeah, get hold of that. No, that'll be great. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Stephen, for your call. And we're getting close to the end. We've just got a little bit of wrap-up time, well, Dennis. It's the, been a, really a little, interesting. A little, a little bit of wrap-up time would uh, be appropriate to mention a good glass of red wine. <laughs> and one of the foods that's recommended by the two Canadians and is, in, in fact, very well known today is that the use, the regular, sensible, daily use of good quality red wine full of resveratrol, that's the point, full of resveratrol, is now thought to be an important agent in explaining why some countries that use red wine more seriously than we do seem to have lesser incidence of cancer per se. I'll not elaborate on it, and many out there might be amazed that I've brought in red wine as a health food. I would say, why do you think that I live in the Hunter Valley? And why do you think I'm so healthy? That tongue, <laughs> tongue in cheek, I said that, Jane. <laughs> but you're still going home for your glass of red wine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dennis Stewart. And uh, we will be talking health again, health naturally, next Friday um, after the midday news on 2NURFM. Um, we'll also, of course, be, you'll be able to catch this program on podcast through 2NURFM.com.